0: Hello and welcome to And Why Not, the movie podcast and the nerds who haunt themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies. For this episode, and in the grand tradition of Barry Norman and the BBC Film Programme, or Siskel and Ebert, I'll be taking a look back at the film year that was 2023, and, along with some of this year's guests, highlighting some films I enjoyed along the way. Unlike last year's Films of the Year show, I won't be doing a strict 10 of the best this year. Instead, I thought I'd try looking at films in groups and talking about some films in that group that I enjoyed and think you might want to check out as well. As with last year, Films Covered Here will have had their wide UK release either in cinemas, on streaming or Sky in the past 12 months. It's worth pointing out that a lot of films that were described as underperforming largely did so due to increased budgets as a result of being in production during the pandemic, that sort of thing. So if I do ever mention poor box office for some, that is to be taken into account as well. Um, It's also worth pointing out that I haven't seen every film released this year yet. Film remains a hobby for me, rather than a profession, so I unfortunately don't have the time or the funds to be able to see every film released in a year, which in the case of some films is probably for the best, for both of us. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's get down to the business at hand and reflect on the year that was, 2023. I think it's fair to say that over the last decade or so, the superhero movie has largely dominated and shaped the blockbuster landscape in movies. So that's where we'll start with our look back at the year. It was the year that saw Michael Keaton finally return again as Batman, and have all that potential and excitement that should have come with that return squandered in the unsurprisingly disappointing The Flash, which followed the equally disappointing for me Shazam! Fury of the Gods, a film that seemed to forget all the warmth and charm that made the first film such a wonderful film. It wasn't a particularly great year for Marvel either, who managed to continue their mostly lacklustre post-endgame draw with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and their biggest box office disappointment to date, The Marvels. Now, at the time of recording, I haven't seen The Marvel, so I can't speak to its quality as a film, but I suspect that the lack of any sense of phase four leading to anything, or the fact that we're just not really seeing any characters being introduced in the phase reappear or be acknowledged beyond their movies... Unlike in the early Marvel movie phases where a character would be mentioned or you'd see them and then they'd get referenced later on, there doesn't seem to be that momentum anymore and I think that's left audiences feeling a little like the essential watch factor of the Marvel films has gone. That being said though, there was a highlight in the shape of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which while never reaching the heights of Volume 1 is a marked improvement on the second volume for me and a fun and fitting, if still slightly flawed, send-off to those characters. For now anyway
2: My sacred mission is to create a perfect society.
1: He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. I
2: want you all to know fight beside my friends. Incinerate them. We were always searching for a family.
1: Until we found each other. Are you ready? For one last ride?
0: Of course, the best comic book movies of 2023 didn't happen in live action, which brings us nicely onto to the next category that we're going to talk about as we talk about animated films released this year. In the year that saw Disney celebrate its 100th birthday, they were probably hoping to make more of an impact in the world of animation this year. But sadly, their 100th year wasn't a great year for Disney across the board. Pixar's Elemental was a fine and enjoyable enough movie, but certainly nothing remarkable. Disney Animation's own effort, Wish, was released with little fanfare and average reviews, and although it's not been out very long at the time of recording, so it may do well over the Christmas holidays if it sticks around, I'm not sure. As far as financial successes go, Illumination was the big winner again, this time with the Nintendo adaptation, the Super Mario Bros. movie. The film itself is a fairly safe and bland adaptation of the game, and despite some fun moments, mostly involving Jack Black's Bowser, all feels a bit like watching somebody else play in the game. It does the job that it sets out to do, and it does it well enough for its target audience but there's nothing really creatively exciting happening, which brings us nicely on to some of the best comic book movies of the year. Starting with Netflix's *Nimona*, a wonderfully fun and exciting film that was a casualty of Disney's purchase of Fox and with it, its purchase of Blue Animation and then shutting that down. Fortunately, this film was completed and released on Netflix, and thank goodness it was because it's a superbly animated film and a hugely enjoyable adventure movie. But as it was in 2018, it's the makers of the *Spider-Verse* film who continue to push the animation world with this year's Across the Spider-Verse. Despite the controversy that that film was marred in with how they treated their animators, it was a beautiful, visually stunning film that continued to build on the world that they started with Into the Spider-Verse, the world of animation styles, in one visually interesting and stunning-looking film in 2023. Uh, Originally, the film was going to be marketed as a part one, and the film certainly has that feel to it, but it also, to the film's credit, Whilst it did leave you one in the rest of the story, I also felt satisfied with the film as a standalone piece, Uh, never feeling like I'd been cheated out of the rest of the story. But then there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which I think is my favourite animated film of the year, giving us a fun take on the turtles and another exciting experiment in animation. Like the Spider-Verse movies, it took the bold step with its animation, with a lovely look of claymation mixed with the kind of loose style of drawing you might find in a teenager's school books. As a Turtles fan, it was a huge joy to see the Turtles back on the big screen and in such a fantastic film.
2: Boys,
1: where have you been? We're just running errands. That's it? Oh! Ah! Look, we're really sorry, Splinter. Some of the guys wanted to get pizza and I tried to talk him out of it. Leo! You ratted us out! Hey!
3: Don't use that word that way. I mean it's
1: 2023. It sorry, like
3: Dad.
4: Hey guys, if we weren't monsters that were shunned by society and
3: we could do what we wanted, ah! what would you guys do? Go to high school? Maybe get a girlfriend? Can you imagine that? Not likely. This is insane. Turtle, mutant, karate teams. I want to know everything about you. Our dad is definitely not a giant rat. That makes me feel like he's a rat. Can I
1: pick it? police are baffled by the recent crime wave led by a super fly
3: nobody's ever seen his face why because he kills everyone who does cool <laughs> oh. no not cool a bit cool can I chitch you we take out Superfly, and then everyone will think we're cool they'll accept us can I chitch you he's making a deal tonight
2: under the Brooklyn Bridge
3: can I chick
2: chick Whoa! What the? Y'all some little tortoises, huh?
3: I can't believe there are other
4: mutants.
2: You want to roll with us? Humans are
4: never gonna like us. So we're gonna let the mutants rule the
0: earth. People's, they got to go. Okay, um, sort of a twist. Of course, comic book movies, live action or animated, weren't the only franchises out there this year. With multiple sequels hitting the screen with the allegedly underlined final instalments in the shape of John Wick Chapter 4 and The Equalizer 3, both of which are hugely enjoyable adult action films that do more or less the same as what's come before, but in the best possible way. Then there was the return of everyone's favourite archaeologist in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'll freely admit that for me, the film lacked that spark of magic that the first three films in particular had, and largely left me cold. But, and despite a certain toxic element online, It did play well with a lot of indie fans who were happy to get an extra, if not a really essential, slice of Indiana Jones action. And then there was the surprise sequel that was Ben Wheatley's Meg 2, The Trench, which was a surprise because it was a Ben Wheatley film. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Despite boasting the best poster tagline of the year with New Meg, Old Chum, it was another slice of dumb fun that, again, didn't quite manage to balance its tone right, failing to lean into the dumber elements of the fun side of the concept. If you enjoyed Meg 1, odds are you're going to enjoy Meg 2 as well. Well, I know I did, but it isn't. They're not great films, and they definitely need to work on their tone and just lean into that a bit more. I think hampering them with a PG 15 sort of rating isn't necessarily doing them any good either. As I said at the top, there were quite a few box office disappointments this year, like I say, largely because of filming during the pandemic and the extra cost that that incurred for the film. But for me, the biggest box office disappointment that was was not just was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Although it didn't live up to Fallout or the cinema's back shot in the arm of Adrenaline that was Top Gun Maverick last year, it was still an exciting thrill ride of an action adventure and another great installment in the Mission Impossible franchise. Unfortunately though, it suffered both from being released two weeks before the behemoth that was Barbenheimer, more on that in a bit and from having a needless part one in its title. In an age of franchises dying on cliffhangers with no follow-up movie guaranteed, putting a part one in your title, especially when your film doesn't need it, is a great way to put an audience off watching your film, especially if they don't feel like they're getting a complete movie experience. Fast X took criticism for its cliffhanger ending, as did across the Spider-Verse, although admittedly to a lesser extent with that one. Spider-Verse at least had the good sense to remove the part one from its title, and it's looking like Dead Reckoning part two will now be getting a name change, which is going to wreak havoc with my Blu-ray shelf when I put it next to part one and my OCD is going to go nuts. But as far as part one cinematic box office is concerned, although it did okay, it didn't do as well as it should have done. And unfortunately, I think the damage is done there, sadly. Hopefully it can recoup money in the home media market, but really what they want is the cinema money. And unfortunately, the odds were against it, unfortunately, on this occasion. But it's still a hugely enjoyable movie that I recommend checking out, especially if you enjoy the Mission Impossible films. Our lives
1: are the sum
2: of our choices and we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours...
3: World is changing. Truth
1: is vanishing.
2: War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Worlds coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours, too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to. Kill
0: In a year that has seen some of the more dominant blockbuster genres lose their appeal with large swathes of critics and audiences, it was refreshing to get some great family movies that, whilst they have the potential, don't feel like they're forcing a franchise onto their movie, giving them that nice, quality, nostalgic feeling in the best kind of way. First off, there was Netflix's We Have a Ghost, which has a wonderful Amblin feeling to it, and a very nice performance from David Arbour as the titular ghost. It's a nice, lightly entertaining film with some great moments of heart and comedy that works really well for me as a film to sit down and watch and enjoy with my kids. And then bringing us right up to the end of the year, having only been released a week or so ago at the time of recording, we saw Paul King spin on Roald Dahl's Chocolate Inventor with the utterly charming musical and very loose prequel, Wonka. Although this one didn't quite have the same magic or easy feel of Kings to Paddington movies, especially Paddington 2, it's a hugely enjoyable take on the character, and one that I could see being incredibly popular on repeat TV viewings over bank holidays and Christmas, which is a real mark of the success for these films. For me, though, the most surprising family adventure movie of this year was Dungeons & Dragons' Honor Among Thieves, which was a hugely enjoyable slice of adventure that did a lovely job of mixing that 80s feel of the Princess Bride or Willow, Along with the formula that worked so well with the Marvel movies, or the best of the Marvel movies, anyway. It was the kind of film that, had I seen it as a child, my friends and I would be playing our own version of it in the school playground at lunchtime as kids, and I can't really think of a better compliment for this kind of family adventure movie.
2: Here's the thing we're a team of thieves.
0: And when you do this,
1: you're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those
2: enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told, we helped the wrong person steal the wrong thing.
1: We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. We're gonna fix it.
2: So, how do we pull that off? Uh. Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. You need To give us a fighting chance, we're gonna need strength. You got this, right? I know you don't. We also need courage,
3: Back to
2: magic, and you. What is that again? It's an owl there. Be warned,
0: there is evil here. I'm glad he's on our side. Which probably brings us nicely on to the 2023 phenomenon that was Barbenheimer. The hype around these two films got people talking about movies again. They even made the news and were talked about on TV. It's something that doesn't really seem to happen outside of retrospectives and chat shows these days. It was exciting to be a film fan, to see the momentum build up around this unlikely double bill. Of course the studios tried to force replication of that moment. Saw Patrol, anyone? But it all just felt like a pale attempt to recapture that lightning-in-a-bottle moment. But what of the films themselves? Well, both were bold. Refreshing shots in the arm for a medium that, outside of the smaller experimental films, was starting to feel formulaic and stale with bold filmmakers adding very different visual flares to both. For me, personally, Barbie was the weaker of the two films. It was a great piece of cinema, visually stunning, wonderfully inventive and funny, and with the hugely enjoyable performances from both Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie in particular seemed to get overshadowed a bit by Ryan Gosling when people were talking about it. Both were equally as good. Unfortunately for me, though, there were elements of the film that just didn't really work, especially the scenes involving Will Ferrell's CEO, which could, you could easily lose and not have had any real impact on the film. Although the film didn't work completely for me, it was amazing to see so many people get behind the film and to see it become the phenomenon it did. And then there was Oppenheimer, another visually stunning and inventive movie that feels like the film that Nolan's career has been building towards. It very much feels like his JFK, minus the conspiracy theories. An intricately plotted and, in the case of Nolan's film, edited historical drama with a huge cast of great actors giving superb performances in all roles. Admittedly it still suffers from Nolan's lack of strong female characters but it certainly was better in this regard largely thanks to Emily Blunt than many of the other Nolan films. The two combined the whole Barbenheimer thing was just an amazing thing to see this year and while I do swing slightly more towards Oppenheimer I think both are great pieces of filmmaking and I really hope that it's something that can be replicated not copied but replicated in the future with other films. And to just start getting more bold film visions out there like these two movies.
4: You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes.
2: This is the best day ever.
3: You guys ever think about dying? We're
2: in a race against the Nazis. We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. You are the man who gave them the power to destroy themselves. And the world is not prepared. So cool. Detonator's charged.
0: And a film based on a true story, Oppenheimer, not Barbie, obviously, brings us nicely onto our next topic, with 2023 being a good year for documentaries, particularly ones looking back on the lives of some beloved actors, people who work in the world of film, and a group of people united by a shared famous name. The year passed without any updates or new material on the James Bond front, with the exception of E.ON and Amazon's kind of odd reality series 007 Road to a Million. But that didn't mean we missed it completely on a James Bond film, as we got the wonderful documentary The Other Fellow. It was a film I hugely enjoyed as a Bond fan, but also as a fan of films about people. Early this year, I spoke to director Matthew Bauer and editor Leslie Poso about the film, so I will direct you again to that episode rather than repeat myself here. Um, You can find the link to it in the show notes. There were two documentaries from the world of film that premiered on Sky and Now TV this year, with the wonderful Otto Baxter Not A Fucking Horror Story and the moving and uplifted David Holmes The Boy Who Lived which tells the story of Daniel Radcliffe's Harry Potter stunt double, and his life before and after the accident that left him partially paralysed in 2009. 2023 also saw a lot of actors reflect on their careers, with Arnold Schwarzenegger telling his story in a three-part documentary series on Netflix, whilst fellow 80s muscle man Sylvester Sloan did something similar in his own documentary Sly. Best of the bunch, though, was Pamela, A Love Story. Albert Book's Defending My Life, and the truly wonderful Still and Michael J. Fox movie. All three saw their very different subjects talking candidly about their work and their lives in ways that should be fascinating to both fans and casual movie watchers, with each one making you feel like you sat down with them and getting to know them through conversation.
1: Albert was a shining god of comedy He was speaking directly to me
0: <laughs> Always something just different
3: He was like a comedic tornado
0: Just fearless and funny He's so fucking hot
3: It took this to finally your compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait till I'm dead I want to take control of the narrative For the first time Dear, I, fear we're facing a problem. I don't
1: think people Consider her the owner of her own image It's Pamela Anderson Public property
3: I didn't feel like I had a lot of respect. Would you want to be a serious actress? I am a serious actress. (laughs) I had to make a career out of the pieces left. But I'm not the damsel in distress. I put myself in crazy situations. And (laughs) survived them. The story of me, take two two here we go ready and action wait a minute doc Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a delorean
2: what did it mean to be still
3: i wouldn't know i was never still that's him that's our star i want this job i can do it whatever the exception is i can fix it i can be older i can be taller i can be anything the popularity of michael j fox is a phenomenon
1: here is Michael J. Fox. What is the secret of your success? And the
3: winner is of- Michael J. Fox. I don't believe this. This is great. I
5: feel four
2: feet tall. I mean, I'm listening to all this, and I'm getting a person who's been defending his life. Every <laughs> yes.
3: goddamn minute,
2: Yeah. my agent said, I don't know why you
3: always take the hard road. <gasps> you think I see two roads. Yeah. I see one road. Why can't we be the heroes in our own life story? <laughs> Maybe I just do all the interviews naked. There's no mystery here. <laughs> but all those years of hiding was shaking me away. I, that part of me that wants to continue to go on and do things is, is to quit. I will not accept that. That's what, this is what I am.
5: I'm a tough uh, son of a bitch.
2: The sad sack story is Michael J. Fox gets this debilitating disease and it crushes him.
3: Yeah, that's boring.
0: I suppose we should talk about some of the horror films that were released this year. Anybody who's regularly listens knows I'm not a massive horror fan, but I do like some. And this was the year that saw some horror franchises return, with both Saw and The Exorcist getting new installments, With both films passing the 100 million mark at the box office but mostly only managing middling if not mostly negative responses from fans although with the exception of exodus 3 that's pretty much what exodus fans have come to expect from sequels there was also a new installment in the evil dead franchise with the evil dead rise which swung away from the more comedic horror of evil dead 2 and army of darkness and like the remake from a few years ago put the focus back onto the gory element which served the film well and we'll hopefully see more from the franchise in the future. And then there was Scream 6, which was entertaining enough but was deeply flawed in its plot and ultimately felt like a very unsatisfying watch for me, further cementing my belief that Scream should have ended with Scream 3. But I'm sure Tom Stewart and I will get into that over the coming years in our Halloween specials. On the lighter side of horror, we had Nicolas Cage as Dracula in Renfield, Amazon's time travel slasher totally killer, and Elizabeth Banks' fun but doesn't quite live up to the promise of its title Cocaine Bear. All three are flawed, but have a nice throwback feel that made them hugely entertaining watches for me, although I can easily understand why a lot of people didn't like them as, well, as much as I did. Now, admittedly, as I said, I'm not much of a horror fan as a rule, but I found the Australian horror talk to me to be a standout of the year. It's not perfect, but it has a very unsettling idea at its centre of it, which develops nicely throughout the film and is really realised on screen incredibly well by the directors. Add to that a superb central performance from Sophie Wilde, and you have one of the most fresh and inventive horror films in recent years.
3: <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the group chat? You're doing it again tonight. <laughs> no. Please. It's my mum's remembrance day. I just want to forget about it. Huh? Do, it huh? do
2: it. Do it. Do it. Up. I'll do it.
5: Cannot go for more than 90 seconds. Am I clear? What happens after 90 seconds?
4: Don't want to stay. Light the candle to open the door, blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say, talk to me.
3: Talk to me. I'm here. Still been saying stuff. you mean been saying stuff. What if we opened the door, but we didn't shut
0: it? Oh my God, they followed us! Talk to me. Before we get into the final category, I thought it might be a good time to take a look at the top 10 films at the box office in 2023 in the UK, US and worldwide. Starting with the UK box office top 10 2023 in reverse order. So at 10, we had Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. 9, we had Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. 8, The Little Mermaid. Seven, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Six was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Five was Avatar The Way of Water. Four, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Three was Super Mario Bros. Movie. Two was Oppenheimer and one was Barbie. Then at the US box office, at number 10 was Sound of Freedom. At nine, John Wick Chapter 4. Eight, Ant-Man and the Wasp Contamania. Seven, Avatar The Way of Water. Six, The Little Mermaid. Five, Oppenheimer. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three was at four. At number three was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. At number two was the Super Mario Bros. movie, and at number one was Barbie. Then finally, we have the worldwide box office for 2023, which saw at number ten Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, number nine Elemental, number eight Mission: Impossible – Dead Reckoning Part One, seven was The Little Mermaid, six was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, five was Fast X, four was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Three was Oppenheimer, two was Super Mario Bros. movie, and number one was Barbie. So Barbie was the number one film across the three, and then there was quite a bit of variation in places in the top tens. Quite a few Disney ones in there in the end, given that Disney didn't have the best year, but there we go. That's the box office top tens at the time of recording. Which brings us to the final category for 2023, which I'm calling the Little Gems of the Year. These are the films that, with the exception of one, I wasn't necessarily expecting the films, um, but they're the kind of films that captivate me in that way that those little gems do. 2023 was the year of the Brando pick. That's not a bunch of Marlon Brando picks, that's biopic type features about brands, with the likes of Blackberry, Tetris, and Flaming Hot, the Cheetos story, getting movies made about them. But the one that made it into this category for me was Ben Affleck's Air, which I was hoping I would enjoy, but I wasn't expecting to enjoy as much as I did, being that I don't really care about trainers or anything like that. Then there was Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which is the one that I was expecting, and the one that truly captivated me as a fan of film and filmmaking, and the way it plays into that coming-of-age story through filmmaking. And on the subject of of coming-of-age stories, which anyone who listened to last year's Films of the Year will know I have a soft spot for... I was caught completely off guard by the adaptation of Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is a wonderfully funny and enjoyable film with a huge amount of heart and a great central performance from Abbey Ryder fortson And then there was Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which could have arguably been included in animation, but I'm a maverick and I've included it here. This is a great little gem of a movie, sweet and gentle and with a wonderful sense of humour and imagination. But if I had to pick a film of the year, both Celine's songs, past lives and Rain Allen Miller's Rylane are in strong contention for the films that I saw this year. Both feature stunning feature film directorial debuts from their respective directors. I'm aware of how wanky critic it sounds, but Past Lives is a beautiful-looking film, and a wonderful slow-burn exploration of friendship, love, rediscovering reconnecting with people with gorgeous direction from the song, and truly mesmerising performances from the three main cast. Rylane, on the other hand, is a much lighter film, but it's such a fresh and innovative take on the before sunset esque Richard Linklater romantic comedy formula that generally breathes new life into the genre and packs so much into its tight 82 minutes runtime. It's a wonderful film with two great leads and supporting cast, and it also has a hilarious use of art for Dodgers re-rewind.
2: Everything
3: all right in there? Trying to have a private moment. My bad. It's not that private, though. <laughs> How
2: you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah? Yeah.
3: Cool.
4: Cool. It's Dom, right? I'm Yaz.
2: That's me. I'm gonna meet my ex for the first time since the breakup.
3: And you're still calling it the breakup? I thought
2: we were fine. We were better than fine. We moved in together. But we had Hamilton ticket. Just a serious commitment. Why So what happened? She cheated on me with my best friend.
3: You cheated on Tom? With him? Oh, that hurts a little bit. I mean, I get it. The arms are nice, but what she even talk about? Are you just gonna sit there and say that to me? Well, she said my arms are nice.
1: I went through the same sort
5: of thing not too long ago. She was his life coach. Apparently, she opened his mind. and then her legs, or her underwear, looks like this. Seriously, you'd have to sew like 15 of these together to get the pants I'm wearing right now. The worst part, I left my favorite record at his place.
2: Let's go find a record shop right now, and I'll buy you a new copy.
5: But I don't want a new copy. I want my copy. Must have changed the locks. Like, I'm gonna break in. Someone must have a key for Jules' Gav.
3: I'll keep them chatting. You look for the key. Room for one more? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) What the hell do you think you're doing? Uh, No, I wasn't, um... uh, I just caught this boy going through your knicker drawer.
2: What have you done?
3: (laughs) Sometimes you just
5: got to see what happens. Just go where the breeze takes you.
1: Are you sure you're down for this? Yeah.
3: By the way, your man swiped me on Tinder like a week ago.
0: No, yeah. mm, I didn't. I not swipe you. Give me your phone or anybody. Now. That was the film year that was 2023, and why not? Hopefully, some of my picks have added some potential films to add to your own watch lists. I put a shout out to some of the people who've been guests on the podcast this year to let us know their films of 2023 or about their movie year that was 2023, and uh, a few of them sent in some messages, which I'm going to play for you now.
1: Hi, this is Anthony Desiato from the podcast Digging for Kryptonite, and the 2023 film I'd like to recommend is Air, directed by Ben Affleck. I'm neither a sports guy nor a sneakerhead, but I really enjoyed the movie and found it to be a fascinating look at a real-life story. So that's my recommendation. Thanks so much.
5: Hello, it's Stacey from Stacey's Pop Culture Parlor here. You might remember me from such episodes as TMNT 2007 and Masters of the Universe and other greasy oiled men movies I am here to tell you what my favourite movie of 2023 was and surprising approximately zero people that have ever happened across me at all in their real or internet lives it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem because of course it is. What a movie eh? I lost my tiny mind when they released the trailer for this back in March to the point where when I was on an episode of And um, Why Not, Stuart. Said Said, what did you think of the trailer and I almost lost the capacity for real human speech and I was not disappointed at the time of recording in, in uh, on the 8th of December I've watched this movie six times <laughs> and it only came out in August Don't judge me it is genuinely one of the best films i've ever seen i think the animation is absolutely gorgeous it's dynamic it's interesting it's a bit sort of sketchy a bit reminiscent of the original mirage comics the voice performances are all really really great The story is great, the soundtrack by uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross is absolutely amazing and uh, also all of the songs, the regular old songs that they popped in there, pretty bloody brilliant. I've been listening to No Diggity an obscene amount of times since this movie because I'm just cool like that. It's genuinely like a really lovely, exciting, funny smart movie and I just had an absolute whale of a time at the cinema seeing it once with my husband again with my husband and then once with a bunch of friends that I bullied into coming with me because I really wanted to see it again I am so happy to have a Turtles movie at the top of my movies of the year list for the second year running and long may it continue have a fabulous Christmas Hanukkah all the other holidays that are happening in December and January have a brilliant new year stay safe and i love you except maybe you bye
2: hi this is david robertson of uh, fred egg comics and that comic smell movies of 2023 i would say shazam 2 was good daft fun Uh, across the spider verse didn't give me as much of a headache as the first one did, Asteroid City. Wes Anderson uh, went a bit too far down the, uh, the the meta route there for my liking. I hope he comes back from that a bit. I'd probably have to go for Indiana Jones 5 as my favourite of the year. Um, I have I had issues with it, but you know, as the, the culmination of a decade-long uh, nostalgic watching, that's probably the one i choose. Thanks very much.
4: This is Matthew Bauer from The Other Fellow wishing you all a Merry Christmas. Uh, my favourite film of 2023 was Alexander
1: Payne's The Holdovers. Hi, this is Ross Beamish here. Thanks to Stuart for my invites onto the podcast this year and for my pick for film of the year 2023. My pick is Oppenheimer. For me, it was really something to experience, not just the film itself, but also the experience of being there for the event that was this summer. Who knows, maybe the Barbenheimer double bill is something that will become commonplace. But for now, that really was an interesting bit of cinema history to have lived through. Also, to me, the performances in it were second to none, with my personal favorite being that by Robert Downey Jr. I thought he was super. Taking a step back, Christopher Nolan is one of the potentially last few directors who essentially gets carte blanche to do what they want. Maybe for better or worse, but alongside Scorsese, Spielberg, Fincher, and a handful of others, when he puts a film out, it's really worth noticing. I say all of this having not yet seen Barbie, which might well change my choice, but for now, for me, the film of the year 2023 is indeed Oppenheimer.
2: Catch you next year. Hey Stuart, it's Pav from the Top Ten of Anything podcast. Uh, So you want my best movie of 2023? Well, I can't give you one, because to be fair, I don't think there's been any good movies this year. What with the decline of Marvel and Disney and the Indiana Jones movie, going to the cinema for me now, it's not a thing I enjoy. It really isn't. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why I feel this way. Uh, but there have been no movies that have floated my boat this year. So unfortunately, um, this was all a waste of time.
0: <laughs> Uh, Cheers, mate. Have a good one.
2: Bye.
3: Hi, this is Jaylan Salah. My film of 2023 that I recommend to everybody is... Actually, I'm going to recommend two films. The first would be Anatomy of a Fall, director Justine Treat, and the second would be May-December, director Todd Haynes. I think both films were very well-written, very well-performed they both had a drama at the center interactions between people which is something that we don't see usually these days but they were also they would keep you interested to the end Anatomy of of a Fall is a courtroom drama slash kind of like a marriage story type of familial dynamics May December is a very tough and controversial and creepy topic kind of encloses the relationships between men and and women and women and women too so yeah I would definitely recommend these movies as my two best movies from 2023.
4: Hi guys, uh, Rob here from the All-Star Super Fan Podcast. Uh, I was on the Never Say Never Again discussion with Stuart this year. Not long ago, we did a full James Bond ranking, which I'm very, very proud of and had uh, fun on. Uh, I've also appeared on episodes around Dick Tracy and all uh, other bits and pieces, Taffin, Various sort other of bits and pieces, and Stewart has very kindly appeared on our show, All Star Superfan, with a couple of uh, great stuff as well. And my favourite movie of the year. Oh God, I hate to be a bit of a basic bitch, but I am going to have to say Oppenheimer. Um, I what do you even say? Your senses will be stirred, and your bones will be shaken for three hours, and it was one of the best things uh, you'll see all here on the same screen, and I think it was one of the best cinema experiences ever, and I think, oh God, it even feels, I I, I hate saying this because it, it's such a kind of a a basic opinion to have, but I think it is the film that cements Christopher Nolan, one of our great directors, like it's so so good. And what I really, really liked about it as well is he hasn't abandoned his kind of cheesy frenetic style. Like, the, the non-linear storytelling his kind of truncated comic book style dialogue scenes or his cheesy reveals. Like, it is very, very similar to his Batman movies. You know, it is. Killian um, Murphy, you know, like, he's, he's done his time kind of playing these character roles in Christopher Nolan movies. And now, finally, he gets to be the centerpiece and he's absolutely incredible and he's so so good throughout the whole thing amazing uh, obviously Christopher Nolan's strong point is not female characters I do think some of the criticism levels of the Florence Pew character is warranted I think she is very very good you can't fault her performance I think some of the writings, some of the presentation of her character possibly a bit flawed uh, but I think she's very very good uh, Emily Blunt is absolutely amazing Robert Downey Jr., ladies and gentlemen, a staggering blowdown performance that just sort of reminds us of everything we lost when he was kind of trapped in the Marvel money pit. And I obviously love superhero movies, I love him in those movies and all that kind of stuff. But I do wish he'd gotten to do more other stuff in that time. And this is an example of that. He's so, so good. Um, But one of the things, one of Christopher Nolan's secret spices that I I always appreciate, and I think no more so than in Oppenheimer, is how he'll just sprinkle these little familiar faces of like TV and movies and people that are are sort of lesser seen nowadays. James Remar. Harry Grainer, Matthew Modine, Tom Conti, Josh Peck, all these kind of hot young guys like Jack Quaid and Dane DeHaan. All my old friends are in Oppenheimer. David Crumholz, it Like, what's he doing in this big movie? Amazing. He's a great actor. Fair play to him. So delightful to see him. You know? So, absolutely loved Oppenheimer. And in a weird way, I think it's like a perfect companion piece to Barbie. Because like, Barbie is like this sun-soaked, colour-blasted, feminist caper that will make your heart sore and, you know, in fairness your teeth ache, whereas Oppenheimer is a surly, grisly reminder of the men at war draining the public mouth. So I think it's actually fortuitous that they both kind of came out at the same time and they kind of complimented each other. So, yeah, it's got to be Oppenheimer for me. Thanks Stuart, thanks for a great show. Looking forward to, and why not, in 2024. God bless.
5: Hi, I'm Helena from art 92 and my film for 2023 is You Hurt My Feelings. It's written, directed, and produced by Nicole Holoff and it stars Julie Louis Dreyfus and Tobias Mingas. Julie Louis Dreyfus is a memoirist and creative writing teacher, and her husband is a psychiatrist. It's a film about the human condition. Nothing actually happens, no huge incidents, but the film's funny and poignant, and it meanders along,
2: but it's just a lovely watch. Watch it. Hello. I'm Damien Edwardson, one half of Art 92 and the occasional host of the Omen to That podcast. My choice for the film of 2023 is by director Oliver Hermanus and his living starring Bill Nighy. Nighy plays Mr Williams, the head of public works and is set in post-World War II London. It's based on Akira Kurosawa's Ikiru and it tells the story of Mr Williams and his reawakening and reinvention himself following a terminal diagnosis. At heart, it's a humanist film. It's all about doing good for others and looking beyond your own needs and desires about what you can do to make life that little bit better for those around you. And to be honest, we could probably all do with that at the moment, especially with the state of the world. So watch it, enjoy it, learn something from it. And you know what? If you can do a Mr Williams and do something good, then do it.
0: And if you'd like to let us know your thoughts of films that you'd recommend for this year, let us know in the comments, wherever you see this episode posted. And with that, another year in front of the big screen has come to an end, as has another year of And Why Not? I'd like to thank Jalen Salah, David Robertson, Tom Stewart, Pav, Rob O'Connor, Matt Truax, Ross Beamish, Andy Clift, Stacey Taylor, Jim Beard, Matthew Bauer, Leslie Poso, Dennis Whittle, Damian Edwardson, Michael Bailey, Alan Burke, Anthony Desiato... Sean Longmore, Helena Edwardson, John Tucker and Andy Hanks for joining me on the pod this year to talk movies. I'd also like to thank all of you for listening, commenting and supporting the podcast. There are a thousand other podcasts out there you could be listening to and it means so much to me that you'd listen to this one in 2023. I hope you've enjoyed them and I hope you'll invite us back into your ears, not in a weird way, in 2024. But until then this has been a Nose of Wonder Sales production and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for your continued support. I hope you have a great Christmas and New Year, however, you choose to spend both, and that you have an amazing 2024 in front of you. Bye for now. This goes out to all the DJs.